Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. We prepared 61 and 62, but probably if we get into it, 61 may be enough, but we will see. Isaiah chapter 61. Find the Messiah spoken of here, and his twofold commission involves bringing the gospel of mercy at his first coming and executing judgment on unbelievers and giving comfort to believers at his second coming. You know, for the first coming of Christ, the gospel of mercy would be presented. The second coming of Christ, there will be judgment, but there will also be comfort, depending on which side you're on. And this uh, 61st chapter has to do with that. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. And then he goes on to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them uh, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now then Jesus used this. Let me, first of all, give you a division of this. The first uh, division of this 61st chapter, Jehovah's messenger and his work. And that's verses 1 through 5. And then in verses 6 through 9, his people, a kingdom of priests and their work. And then verse 10 is the salvation song. And verse 11, the blessings of, of the whole earth. But in this, I started to say, in this first verse or two, Jesus uses this. And applies it to himself in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. And let's read verses 16 through 22. It would be good if you turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 22. And when I was reading it, I was tempted to try to quote this along with it because it's a little different worded here. And you'll see that it is. But in Luke 4, verse 16. By the way, this is the Lord's first sermon that he preached. And it says, He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Or Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now here you'll notice the wording is somewhat different because a lot of times the quotation was from the, from the Septuagint. And various uh, Old Testament versions were, would be quoted, but uh, are the original. But let's notice verse 18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now notice he stops right there. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. If you have Isaiah open, hold it over in Isaiah. In the second verse there, it says, To preach, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus stops short in that verse, and it's very important that you realize that. Because at His first coming, He came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And so, 
if you'll follow on down, if you still have Luke's Gospel, and he closed the book. That's where he stopped his reading of Isaiah. And he closed the book and gave it again unto the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now why would he say it was fulfilled? Because he came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stopped right there. Had he gone ahead and quoted the rest of that second verse in Isaiah 61, verse 2, if he had quoted all of it and said the day of vengeance of our God, then he would have been embracing the fulfillment that would take place at his second coming. So that's why he stopped short, because he was going to say, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Because at his first coming, he came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And of course, all this included in verse 18, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. So you see why Jesus stopped at, in the middle of that verse when he was reading from Isaiah 61, verse 2? He did not go ahead and say, and it was right before his eyes, the day of vengeance of our God. Because he was about to show them that this day, this scripture, is fulfilled in your ears. And he could not have said that had he read the second part of that verse. Now notice, if you still have Luke's gospel, he closed the book, gave it again to the minister, and the eyes of all them were in the synagogue, fastened on him. And he began to say, verse 21, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now look at verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. So, I'm sure that Jesus expounded this scripture to them. And they wondered as he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm the one that Isaiah was speaking about. I'm the one that has come to heal the brokenhearted. I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. And, and through this good news of my first coming, uh, set at liberty them that are bruised. And not just physically and materially, but spiritually, he was going to set at liberty those that are bruised. And bring deliverance to the captives and so on. So, Jesus quotes this as a credential to his preaching. Now, he was anointed even from the womb. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, it says this. Look at 135. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. This is uh, concerning the birth of Christ. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So the Holy Ghost would come upon Mary. And if you read the whole context, you'll find that uh, when Elizabeth heard the good news, that even John the Baptist uh, was, uh, of course, recognizing the fact that and, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. In verse 41, came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So, Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that, that uh, God gave not the Spirit by measure unto Him. Hebrews chapter 1 says, Thou hast anointed Him with the oil of gladness. Above thy fellows. Above thy fellows are brethren. And so Jesus was the one that it was in view when Isaiah was 
speaking of this. And when he was baptized, uh, the Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, remember? The voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He was prophet and priest and king. Now then, the good tidings that he speaks of is the good... This is the good tidings of the gospel. This refers to the gospel. This was good news. And in the good news that he brings, he is going to uh, preach deliverance from poverty, both physically and spirit, spiritually. He, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the poor in spirit, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, those that are spiritually blind. He opened blind eyes, but he opened spiritually blinded eyes. And to set at liberty them that are bruised. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So the, the thing that Jesus was going to preach was right before all of humanity during that particular time of His first coming. And then the apostles would take up the message and preach the acceptable year of the Lord and continue. And the day of vengeance of our God would not come until Jesus comes again. And we've already referred to it that that would be a day of comfort for some and uh, executing judgment upon the unbeliever. And it will be a day of comfort to the believers at His second coming. So it's a twofold effect when Jesus comes again. Back in Isaiah chapter 61, notice the thing here in verse 1, and we'll put it in its proper context, to proclaim liberty to captives. You see that in verse 1? An opening of the prison to them that are bound. Actually, this refers to the year of Jubilee as far as Israel is concerned. And it was was a year of amnesty. When prisoners are released... And often at at the appearance or accession of a new king, this happens. But look in Leviticus 25 and verse 9 and verse 10. Leviticus 25, verse 9 and 10. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And you shall hallow... The fiftieth year, this is fifty years, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. It was a year of jubilee. And what it meant was freedom for slaves. It meant forgiveness of their debts, all their indebtedness. And it meant restoration to their properties. The gospel has rather a spiritual uh, application of these same things. What does the the year of freedom, deliverance to the captives, open the prison house, and all of these things that Jesus spoke of have to do with you and I in the Christian realm? It has to do with the freedom from slavery or bondage. We're free from the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin and Satan. And it has to do with forgiveness of debts. Remember, we all owe the Lord something. What owest thou, my Lord? Remember the two that came and one owed a little bit and another owed much. And the woman was anointing Jesus because she loved much. And 
Simon had not done anything for the Lord when he had come into the house. And Jesus said, Which loves, who loves me the most? The one, and he said, the one who much is forgiven. He says, you've rightly said. And we all have much to be forgiven, but the, the freedom from slavery and the bondage of sin and the, the forgiveness of the debts, we owe to send that to God and it's paid through Christ. And the restoration of lost properties, the restoring of everything that we've ever lost as fallen man has been brought back to us. So we have full restoration through what Jesus has done. We're restored to the family of God, the kingdom of God. Remember, we were separated from the kingdom of God. We were separated from the family of God. We were aliens. We were foreigners. We had no claim upon heaven and upon Christ and upon uh, our heavenly Father. We were created to be worshipers of God. But on the other hand, we had fallen. We're like the prodigal. We ran away from home, didn't we? And the Lord was ready to receive us when we we returned. So, the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, look in Isaiah 61 and we'll follow it on down. And what's going to happen? The last uh, verse 2 says, And the day of vengeance of our God. Now, this refers to the second coming of Christ. And then Israel will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, as referred to later on. The day of vengeance of our God has not come when Christ came the first time. The day of vengeance of our God will come when He comes the second time. It's still yet in the future. This Scripture, if Jesus uh, would even give that Scripture to us today to repeat, it would still, we could not, we still could not say, this day is this Scripture fulfilled. Because it's not fulfilled as of yet. The day of vengeance of our God is still yet the future. Between these two statements, in Isaiah 61 verse 2, is the distance of grace that now spans this day and age of grace. Look at that verse, and I want to give it to you. Verse 2, Isaiah 61 verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Just stop right there. Between the Lord and the... And the day of vengeance of our God is a whole period of grace for some 2,000 years it's been going on. Right there, if you could just, where that little comma is, you see it? After the Lord, after His name. is 2,000 years so far. Did you know in that blank space, at that comma, there's 2,000 years since Christ came. And, well, we use round numbers, of course. And the day of vengeance of our God is still yet in the future. So if you look at that, you can understand. And when the day of vengeance comes, He's going to comfort all that mourn. Now then, He will appoint, in verse 3, to appoint unto them that, that mourn in Zion, in Jerusalem, His people, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. What's he saying here? The Jewish mourning, they put on coarse, drab clothing, and they put dust and ashes on their heads. They put on the most drab and uh, unbecoming clothing, and they put ashes on their heads. It was symbolical of their mourning. But he's going to give them a different kind of garments. On the happy occasion, what's he going to give them? They're going to experience beautiful garments. And they will be anointed with ointment. 
You see, all of joy for, for mourning. And the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's going to be switched around. It's going to be altogether different. This beauty for ashes is a play on uh, two Hebrew words. Beauty has a little word that's similar to the ashes, but it's different somewhat in the original. And I couldn't explain to you by just looking at it uh, exactly how it, mean, uh, how it looks. But uh, beauty probably refers to a crown or ornamental headdress, which was worn in times of joy. Possibly the priest's turban. This turban symbolizes joy. And it would be replaced with ashes, by ashes, which was commonly sprinkled on the head during times of mourning. So he's going to trade and give you beauty. And he's going to give you joy and an ornamental crown and take away that other one that speaks of the mourning aspect of it. And then he speaks of trees of righteousness, perhaps better oaks or the strong oak tree. So in the past, Israel had engaged in the pagan fertility rites in the shadow of such trees as these and had committed idolatry. But now they're going to be called righteous oaks. Notice this verse. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Contrary to what they had been in worshiping in the groves and trees. Look in First Kings, no, Second Kings chapter 17. And I'll read a couple of verses where it shows what they did at one time. Second Kings 17 verses 9 and 10. Well, 9 through 11. Listen. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there, and there they burnt incense in all the high places as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them and wrought, wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols whereof the Lord had said unto them, You shall not do this thing. So instead of worshiping in that way, God is going to plant them back in our text now, Isaiah 61 and verse 3, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the last part of it. The planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. You see what they're going to to be in the future? God is going to change them and take away from them all of their idolatry and all of their tendency to idolatry. And He's going to make them what they ought to be. And He's going to give them joy and comfort and blessings instead of mourning and, and, and being clothed with sackcloth and ashes. Remember when old Job had all the bad things happen to him? He sat in an ash heap, and he, he was clo- he was, it was symbolical of the mourning he was going through because of all of his loss, and he thought ever, the worst it, that would ever happen to a man had happened to him. In fact, he said, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. That's why we shouldn't fear the future. Don't give any, any, any indication that you want anything bad to happen, and maybe it won't. Give, a, give an indication that you want good things to happen. And it probably will. Because keep your faith and positive attitude toward God and His Word. Sometimes we speak a word and the thing begins to happen to us and we say, well, I, I thought that might happen. Well, what did you say it for? Just shut your mouth and go and trust God. Right? And look, look to God in faith. Let's don't expect the bad to happen. Let's expect good things. 
And then if trouble does come in our lives, the trial of your faith is more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, and it might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter tells us that if it needs be, First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it may need to be in some instances. But let's not expect it. Just learn to face the day as it comes. That's why we don't need to know what tomorrow holds. All these people are so anxious. Well, I wish I knew what was going to happen. I'm glad I don't know what's going to happen. Did you hear Billy Graham on Larry King Live the other night? He's talking about, he says, how do you think you'll die? He's talking about, well, do you hope? He said, I hope I'll die preaching. He said, I'd just soon be, but I haven't asked God to do that for me, he said. But he said, on the other hand, he said, I might die in an automobile wreck, or I might die in some other way, or I'm with some terrible disease. Well, we don't know how it's going to happen, so let's not anticipate it. And let's not die a thousand deaths before it happens. You're only going to die once, unless you make yourself. Right? So don't, don't worry about it. When it happens, it happens. I remember Dr. Oldham, he says, I'm not going to live one minute longer or die one minute sooner than God intends for me to. And that's exactly the way it is. So, let's thank the Lord. Job again said, All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change comes. Where was I? In verse 3, So there are going to be trees of righteousness, and they're going to be the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. Now then, verse 4 says, And they shall build the old wastes, they shall raise up the former desolations. By the way, it's speaking uh, of what Israel will be in the future. They shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolation. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. In other words, not Israel only, but the strangers refer to all the nations, other people. You see, God's not only the Savior of the Jews, but He's the Savior of the Gentiles. He's the Savior of all. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. They will all be brought in. Think of that. The old waste, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, will lay, which lay in ruins, will be restored. They were in the Old Testament. Remember, Nehemiah built, rebuilt the, the city that was fallen down and thrown down and in waste. And Nehemiah came in and rebuilt Jerusalem and set all the gates upon their hinges. And he started with Sheep Gate. That's a good place to start. And then the next one is Fish Gate. And I believe the next one was Valley Gate. And he goes on to Old Gate and so on. You know why he started at Sheep Gate? Everything starts there. Jesus is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's where the sacrifice animals start, uh, were led into. Uh, in and out of the city. The sacrifice of Christ is the first place. What is the first thing of the gospel? Christ died for our sins. This is first, right? That's the first. The first thing as far as our acceptance is concerned is to accept Christ as our Savior who died for us on the cross. We, we receive Him. Behold the Lamb of God which taken away the sin of the world. The first thing that was preached to the Ethiopian eunuch. So, Nehemiah rebuilt those walls of the city and once... In experience, oh, I'd love to get on this, but in experience, once you've accepted Christ, what's the next thing? Fish gate? Jesus said, Behold, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
after you've accepted Christ, the first thing you need to do is start serving and start witnessing. And on and on and on. Let's go back to this. It says 6 now. But ye shall be named the priest of the Lord. After this, they're going to be named priests. The priests of God. God's people will be priests in God's service. Israel of old was intended to be God's priest. In the 19th chapter of the book of Exodus, let me give you this. It says in verse 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Uh, Exodus 19, verse 6. God said to Israel, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. You say, well, that applies to Israel of old. Yes, but it applies to you and I. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, look at that. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Notice what it says here. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is talking about all believers. Pick it up with verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them uh, which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye, ye who believers, but ye, look at verse 9, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises, the word means virtues, of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So those who are called out of darkness into His marvelous light are what? A kingdom. Uh, they're a chosen generation. They're a, a spiritual house. They're a holy priesthood. They're a chosen generation. They're a royal priesthood. They're a holy nation. That's what God's people are. You see, every believer is a priest in his own right. You and I are priests. You say, oh, well, the preachers are. No, preachers are not priests. Preachers are, are preachers. We're not priests. I'm no more of a priest than you are. Do you know that? And you're just as much of a priest as I am as a believer. Just as much. And priests go into the presence of God with their uh, petitions. You and I go into the presence of God with our petitions. And I can do it no greater nor better. In fact, some of you go better than I do. I'm saying you're a believer priest in your own right. You don't need a preacher to intercede for you or, or someone else. You do your own thing before God. And you pray to God. And Jesus is our great high priest seated on the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, which is passed into the heavens. And he says, it says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Well, that means that we have one that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So it says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And he says, Therefore let us come boldly, let us, all of us, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
You see, when you go into God's presence to ask for whatever you need and to present your heart feelings before God, you have just as much right to be heard as anyone else. And you know better than anyone else how you feel. And you know better how to lay out what you feel than you do to a human being. Because the Lord understands it. We might misunderstand. You might tell us the same thing that you tell God and we misunderstand because we may misinterpret some of your words and some of your actions and some of your feelings. But God will not misinterpret. In fact, if you do not know what to say, He still won't misinterpret. You'll come with words that you may not can explain it, but God still sees your heart. Isn't that a great thing? That the Lord knows all about it. I think that would get a lot of these so-called human intercessors and mediators out of the way, which they should be. We tell people what to do, and then sometimes we turn around and try to make them do otherwise. Well, we shouldn't make them do otherwise. We should tell them what the Bible says about what they're to do. That's our business. The business of preachers is to tell you what God's Word says. And not try to magnify oneself and push oneself forward, be, become known and become uh, so important that if without us the world wouldn't turn? No. it still go around, won't it? When we're dead and gone, the rest of you will still be here. next generation will be here. So, look at this. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ministers. Ministers means to serve. And so the evangelistic world today, the ones that are uh, to be priests of God today are to also be ministers and serve others. See, it doesn't stop with intercession. It, stops, it continues with serving. You can intercede, but you can serve as well. See, ministers of the Lord. It says, "...ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall you boast yourselves." As far as Israel was concerned, all the riches of the Gentiles... Gentile nations will be used for God's glory in the future. In verse 7, For your shame you shall have double. Look at that. A description of conditions in the millennial kingdom, and God is going to double. The past humiliation, humiliation and suffering will be doubly rewarded when Israel's land is restored to her. In the restoration and in the blessings of the millennial kingdom, God is going to give her double for all her sufferings. God already has promised you and I a blessing of some, somewhat of that same nature. In the practical things of life, He's promised us that. He's going to give us a double reward. A greater reward than we have in the opposite direction of humiliation or suffering or loss. Right now, <clears throat> there's a promise Jesus said, give, listen, give and it shall be, in what? It shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. Have you ever seen folks that say, I never have any good thing happen to me? Well, maybe do you do, do any good thing for someone else? That's the question. You know, some folks always got a sour note about what happens to them in life. But I'll guarantee you when you start living for God and doing what God wants you to do and being loving and caring and giving, God is going to reward you tenfold. 
I remember Tom and I used to pick up those pecans out there, and it reminds me of that particular verse. It says, given it shall be given to you good measure. You fill that sack full of pecans, and then you shake it down, and you put another five pounds in there, and you shake it down again. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And you just put another five or ten pounds in that one one gunny sack, and then you sew it up and tie the ears on each side, and then take it to market. But uh, God will give us more than our sack will hold. You say, I only got this much capacity. The Lord is able to give you more than that will hold. And let's trust Him and, and, you know, just do what He wants us to do. And you'll be blessed. I'll guarantee you'll be blessed. God's Word guarantees it. I don't have to guarantee it. Jesus said, as far as the tithe is concerned, He said, Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. And by the way, in this day and hour, the local church is the storehouse. Don't get that all mixed up with a, a TV evangelist. The storehouse is not his hip pocket. I'll guarantee you. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. And, and he says, See if the Lord will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I'll guarantee you the person that is brought up to live for God and give his tithes to God, God is going to bless it. And the blessings will not always come in uh, material or financial ways, but most of the time they will, at least in proportion. Uh, But they will come in other ways. You know, if you're blessed so that you don't have to pay out a $10,000 operation surgery bill, that's financially blessed, isn't it? I think that's financially blessed. Remember I had back trouble and you all all prayed for me? I I did everything the doctor told me to do and a lot of prayer went into it. And I'm getting around pretty good. In fact, I'm in less pain than I was before I was injured because I got some proper treatments. And God heard and answered your prayers, and and things worked out for His, for for my good and for His glory. And I give all y'all the thanks, and I give God all the praise and glory for it because I'm thankful. And other problems that I had, and uh, we're just thankful that God has worked out all these good things for many of us. And let's continue to pray for Brother Jim, too, when he does have to have surgery, that it'll turn out good and that he'll be healthy. Uh, for your shame you shall have double. Look at verse 7. And for the confusion, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. In other words, you're going to have more rejoicing than you had confusion. Therefore, in their land they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. God says, I'm going to give them everlasting joy. Look at verse 8. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering. And I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. God will vindicate the Israelites, and He'll reward them for their faithfulness. For the Jews to be punished indefinitely would be unjust, and God is not an unjust God. For them to be punished indefinitely... So in his perspective, they're due to have some justice meted out. And he'll bring them back to their heritage and he will give them blessings. In verse 9, it says, And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. The Israelites will be renowned. It was a part of God's plan that through the restoration that Gentiles would come to honor God through them. Look at that. Their seed shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. 
And you know, God, it will be acknowledged in the midst of others that you as a child of God, not only Israel, but as a child of God, you will be acknowledged as being blessed. Look, we have two more verses now, and I want to give you this and we'll close. The salvation song. Look here. In verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Zion will give thanksgiving to God for His favor. Salvation and righteousness are spoken of here. Two garments inseparably connected. Salvation will bring righteousness. And when we have salvation, we have God's righteousness as well. By the way, these two garments inseparably connected probably are associated with the priestly garments, the priestly attire. Remember, they had on a breastplate and they had on the garments that speak of their salvation. It says here, clothe me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. The little boys and girls used to sing in Sunday school. We'd have them up here. Now the best thing in my life I ever did do, now the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. The old robe was dirty, all tattered and torn. The new robe was spotless. had never been worn. The best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. That's what every one of us did. We talk about the boys and girls. We took off the old robe of of sin and ragged and torn and self-righteousness and we put on the new robe of Christ's righteousness. And these are the ones that are accepted of the Lord and these are the ones that will sing the song of redemption and the salvation song. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. What a happy day. The last verse. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so, look at that word so, put a little circle around it, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations, the ends of the earth, the blessings of the whole earth will come. All men will praise God naturally and spontaneously because of what He has done in the future. He will restore His nation and His people and He will bless all the Gentile nations and the whole world will be converted at a future time. It's not now, is it? We've got wars and, and threats on every hand with nations warring against one another. Some think they know what to do and others, you know, there's all kinds of different uh, viewpoints about it. But one day God's going to settle all this. says this is the right thing to do with all people. And He will make it all right.